After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you're able to number them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. Father, thank you for the season of encounter, no matter where we are, no matter how we relate to you in this moment, we pray that you would draw us closer to yourself. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Welcome again to St. Bartholomew's. We're so glad that you're here on the second Sunday of Lent. Is Lent doing its work in your life yet? I'm trying to gauge by the look on your eyes. How depressed do you feel how many swear words have you said under your breath this week in the car? Um, Lent is, is one of those peculiar seasons, isn't it? Because we, we bring upon ourselves a sort of desirable difficulty, if you will. Uh, fasting isn't fun. It's not fun not to have food. It's not fun to have pains in my stomach and know that I could very easily walk to the kitchen or walk to the corner store or <laughs> wherever I go to get my food. It's not fun. But fasting and all the other disciplines that we take on ourselves in Lent, or some of the things that we take on as extra maybe in the season of Lent, they're meant to facilitate Lent as a season of encounter. And that's what I want to focus on and behold tonight, is this encounter that Abraham, whom St. Paul calls our father in the faith, Abraham has this encounter with God, and I know it says Abram, and he doesn't get his name changed until later, but I'm just going to say Abraham to save us all some time by adding an extra syllable. I know it's counterintuitive, just go with me on it. 
Abraham, Abraham, Abraham. Lent is a moment of encounter. It doesn't always work out that way. Because sometimes the encounter is total silence and seeming absence. Sometimes the encounter is circumstances going the complete wrong direction. But with Abraham, our father in the faith, we we pick up on his story in a moment where he's just won this battle. He's just gone back and retrieved his nephew Lot all the way to Damascus, it says. He's retrieved him from these other kings and he comes back and it says this in this moment of encounter. The word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. God speaks to us. We have his holy word. That's the canon. That's the measuring stick. That's the rule of faith, if you will. That tells us what God's word is. But God speaks to us. Maybe he's spoken to you in a dream or in a vision. Or maybe you had a thought and you thought, wow, that was a really cool thought. And you realized, oh, well, that might not be a thought I generated myself. And that thought is consistent with Holy Scripture. And you realize, oh, you know what? God spoke to me in that moment. But for Abraham in this moment, God comes to him in a vision. And in this encounter, he says this. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Fear not. Maybe he was afraid from this battle. From this, uh, He'd gone to retrieve Lot, his nephew. Perhaps he was afraid of what these men would do to him if they came back and took out retribution. And we know that God has already promised Abram that in him and through him, all families of the earth would be blessed. Remember in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. And through you, I'm going to bless all the families of the earth. And he said that he was going to be the father of a great nation. That Abraham would have offspring, in other words. Abraham, fear not. God says in Genesis 15, I am your shield. I'm your protector. So in this moment of encounter with Abraham, and for us in Lent as this place and season of encounter, encounter demands of us an exercise of faith. And I'm using the word exercise on purpose because I could say you could have faith. Isn't that nice to have it? Or you could exercise faith. When what you see in front of you is not at all what God had promised you. When the reality that said, this is going to be so and so, and you see something completely different. Or in the instance of Abraham. Hey, you're going to be the father of a great nation and through you I will bless all the families of the earth. Hey, checking in with you God now as you reveal yourself to me in a vision and say uh, that you're my shield. What does Abraham say to God? Verse 2, oh Lord God, what will you give me? For hey, listen, I'm still childless. That if I'm to be the father of this nation, if I'm to have offspring or seed, as the book of Genesis says, I don't see any of it. 
In fact, not only am I childless, but the heir of my house, the man who stands to benefit from all this wealth that you have helped me accumulate, and your great blessing is Eliezer of Damascus, probably the head servant of Abraham's house. And Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household Basically, a member of my staff will be my heir. Now, remember what we said. In this moment of encounter, an exercise of faith is demanded. But how does Abraham respond? Hey, God, here's reality. Here's what's actually happening. Now, the author goes to great pains later to say that Abraham isn't despairing, isn't complaining out of unbelief, but rather Out of his belief, reminding of God his promise, he is offering forth his complaint. Bruce Waltke, an Old Testament commentator, says it's it's easier to despair in silence rather than to offer complaint in belief because that takes spiritual energy. Have you noticed yourself being sapped of spiritual energy this season of Lent? We're only 11 days in. I know. (laughs) I keep looking at my watch. So there's this moment of encounter. The encounter demands of Abraham an exercise of faith. But notice God's response. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. Again, God, I'm old. I have no heir. We can imagine Abram thinking. And then God takes Abraham outside. Now remember, he's he's communicating to God in the vision. He's speaking to God one-to-one. And we can't help but think of what Jesus said. "When, When you pray, go and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who hears in secret will reward you. Imagine what Abraham's wife, Sarah, and members of his household must have thought if he had communicated these things to them. Oh, yeah, okay, here we go again, guys. The the story of the, we know it's going to be a great nation. Imagine how maddening he must have felt. But God, in verse 5, takes him outside. He says, look, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then God said, so shall your offspring be. In this moment of encounter, which demands an exercise of faith, Abram's faithfulness, though faltering, is met with God's unwavering faithfulness. So shall your offspring be. And what does Abram do? He believes God, and it's credited to him as righteousness, which sounds very transactional. But what it means is that Abram believed God, and God recognizes that, acknowledges that as this is what people of my community look like. This is how they behave. They trust me. They believe me. They act 
on the things that I call them to act upon. In the moment of encounter that demands an exercise of faith, they step forward in an exercise of faith, though faltering, and they say yes. So this first section deals with the seed or the offspring that God had promised. But now we look forward and there's this new, uh, this new promise introduced into Abraham's narrative. Offspring, great nation. But now God says in verse 7, again in a moment of encounter. Same sort of verbiage as before. I am the Lord your God. Verse 7, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. Abram, don't forget that I called you. You went from Ur to Haran, and from there I called you down to this place, right smack dab in, what would, in the middle of what would later be called the promised land. I have given it to you to possess. And so this moment of encounter demands an exercise of faith And what does Abram say in this opportunity? Verse 8. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? Have you ever been in a place like that where you felt God has spoken to you? Where you felt God has given you some sort of promise or vision? Or even if it's just a faint picture of something and you believed it and you trusted in it and then you realize how am I to know that I'm not crazy how am I to know that what God said is real that we really should act on this thing that we really should take this leap that we really should make this investment or whatever it is how am I to know Now, Abram just believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, which I'm sure tons of Bible studies are based off of. How come, if it was counted to him as righteousness, he has to say, how am I to know? Do you not have solidarity with Abraham like I do right now? He's like, God, seriously? But it was counted to him as righteousness. But still, he says, but how am I to know? A moment of faith that demands, a moment of encounter that demands an exercise of faith. And Abram, not out of unbelief, not out of despairing, not out of self pity, says, How am I to know? Now remember, Abram is blessed. There was a crazy priest, not crazy priest, there's a priest and king named Melchizedek in Genesis 14, just before this all happens, who comes to Abraham and he blesses him. And Abraham has all the spoils of this battle that he's just fought. And what does Abraham do? He tithes. He gives a tenth to this priest king, Melchizedek. Now, what what does Melchizedek do? He blesses him and says, Blessed be Abram by God most high. Possessor, recognize that word. There's a lot of beautiful linguistic stuff happening here that I can't even get to. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And what did Melchizedek have to offer to Abraham besides this blessing? This blessing of God? A feast of bread and wine. So we have this priest king who really has no lineage, who has no beginning and no end according to scripture. 
giving a feast of bread and wine to Abram, your father in the faith and my father in the faith. Whether or not you feel like you have faith right now, he is your father in the faith. And he has to say, how am I to know that I will possess the land? Again, when Abram exercises his faith, even in a complaint of seeming unbelief, in other words, his faltering faithfulness is met with God's unwavering faithfulness. What does God say? Oh, it's okay. You know, hush, hush, my child. Or sing him a lullaby. No, God goes straight to a sacrifice. I need a heifer, a goat, a ram, a turtle dove, and a pigeon. Now, as a good Near Eastern man of ancient days, Abram would have known where this was going. These were sacrificial victims. So Abram gets them. He gets them all. Let me pick up in verse 10. He brought them all these and he cut them in half and he laid each over against the other. Didn't cut the birds because they were too small. He kept birds of prey away from the carcasses. Now Abram knows that what's about to happen is a covenant is going to be entered into. God is, quote, cutting a covenant or making a covenant. And the idea in these Near Eastern agreements was that you and the other party you were making agreement with would walk through the covenant victims. You would pass between them and you would say, if I falter on this covenant, if I default in my agreement, whoa, and there's a piano there, a great instrument everyone loves. If I falter on this agreement, may I be like these broken and a half victims. May death come upon me, basically. So Abram knows what's going on. He knows what's happening. But notice verse 12. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. This wasn't smog. We have to believe again this is a sort of trance-like place or a vision-like place that God is taking Abram to. It happens all throughout Scripture. It's happening now with Abram. Unfortunately, the lectionary skips verses 13 and on, but I'll read verse 13. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain, know for certain. How am I to know that I'll possess this land? God says, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs. And he goes on, he talks about the Exodus. Flash forward to verse 17. And when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. Dreadful darkness. Sun has gone down. The pieces are out. Abram has done his job of keeping the birds of prey away from them. And Abram looks up and sees a smoking fire pot, and a torch. So the smoke and the flame, just get that picture in your head, passing between these sacrificial, pieces of this sacrificial victims. Abram does not pass between them. God does. This is a theophany. This is a moment when God makes himself known in a miraculous appearance in this smoking fire pot and in this torch. 
Abraham's faltering faith, though faithful he was, is met with God's unwavering faithfulness. And the covenant that God makes with Abraham, verse 18, on that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your offspring I give this land. Geographical details, etc. God makes a covenant with Abram. And all of the onus of the covenant is on whom? God. God saying, I give you this land, I make a promise on myself. How am I to know, God, that you will fulfill what you've spoken to me? God says, you are to know because I guarantee the promise. I guarantee the covenant by myself. I am the guarantor of this covenant. I meet your faltering faithfulness with my own unwavering faithfulness. Now, in this season of Lent, God may have already spoken to you in ways where you've sensed an encounter with him. Maybe in your hunger, maybe in your lack of something, maybe as you've taken something on, you've heard God speak. Maybe it's been in a dream or a vision. But you've heard him speak and you realize that that encounter demands an exercise of faithfulness, of bold trust in him, to follow him. Know that as you do, your faithfulness will be imperfect, just like mine will be. We're not going to achieve perfectly obedience as long as we're in this flesh. But God meets us in our yes with his unwavering faithfulness. Our faint yes becomes his resounding yes and amen. Know for certain, Abram, on that day, God made a covenant with him. Now, why, do we, why does this matter to us? Why does this make a difference to you and to me? Why does this give us hope that some Ancient Near Eastern Semitic gentleman who was a Bedouin who wandered about and had crazy visions and heard from God, what does that make a difference to us? Well, the offspring that God promised Abram wasn't just the people of Israel, Isaac, wasn't just that one boy, though precious he was, or Jacob, or those 12 tribes of Israel, or Moses, or on down the line. That offspring is Jesus Christ. He is the one who is the offspring of Abraham. And who, when he goes to the cross in this moment of encounter, as he sees Jerusalem from a hillside, as the Pharisees warn Jesus, hey, Herod's after you to kill you. Do you know what Jesus says? Herod cannot kill me. Go tell that fox that I will finish my work. That Jesus willingly gives of himself. That Jesus willingly is broken as the sacrificial victim of the covenant. In this feast of bread and wine that we celebrate, Jesus is both victim and priest. 
presiding over a covenant that says, where God says, I'll take away your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I will write my law, the Lord says through the prophet Jeremiah, on your heart. Yeah, I just don't have anything left, God. Jesus says, if anyone believes in me and they come to me, from them will flow rivers of living water. We're not responsible to be our own source of salvation. We can't save ourselves. We can't fix ourselves. But we do have to say yes. When you come to communion today, remember that our Lord Jesus Christ is both victim of the covenant sacrifice and priest of it, offering his own body, his own blood, so that in this moment of encounter, as you exercise faith, his unwavering faithfulness can be the path that you walk. Let us pray. God, we thank you for loving us, for doing in us what we cannot do. We thank you for our father Abraham. Lord, help us, help us, help us to trust, to trust you, to believe you, and to receive your covenant you have wrought on our behalf. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.